Friends, welcome to Theology for Teachers, a podcast for Catholic high school teachers. I'm Ed Heinberg. With us today is Archbishop Michael Fitzgerald, who is here to talk about encountering Islam. Archbishop Fitzgerald is a member of the Society of Missionaries of Africa. From 1987 to 2006, he served as secretary and then president of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue. In 2006, Archbishop Fitzgerald was appointed Papal Nuncio to Egypt and served as delegate to the Arab League until his retirement in 2012. Welcome, Archbishop. Thank you. Good to have you. So how did um, a British Catholic kid of Irish descent become one of the church's leading experts on Islam? How did you get into this? How did you find yourself studying Islam? Well, as a young boy, I wanted to become a priest, and quite soon that developed, and I said, I want to become a missionary, missionary priest. And so I made contact with the missionaries of Africa, who had a house not far from where I was living. And so I went to study with them and continued. Now, I was fortunate in our Missionary Society was created, was born in Algeria 150 years ago mm. to this day. And um, so our first work was with Muslims. And um, I had the good fortune of being sent to Tunisia for my theological studies before ordination. So in Tunisia, which is a majority Muslim country, and though we were concerned with Catholic theology and not had much contact with the, the local environment, it nevertheless it had some influence, and they introduced some Arabic into the program. Mm. After ordination, I was asked to study theology and thought that I would become a lecturer in a seminary or somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. But when I'd finished, I was asked to join the staff of the Institute of Arabic and Islamic Studies, which had been founded by our society in Tunisia and then had transferred to Rome. And, uh, but I didn't know Arabic well enough to be able to teach it, so I went to London and took a degree in Arabic in London and then started teaching at this institute. Now, this was an institute for Arabic and Islamic studies. Uh, the tradition is that the head of this institute, which I became at the, at the end, uh, is appointed as a consultor of the Office for Interreligious Relations in the Vatican. Okay. So I was a consultant for a good number of years, and therefore I was known in this council. And uh, in 1987, this is some years later, uh, they were looking for someone to be the secretary of the office, and they decided that I could do that job, and so I was drafted in <laughs> for this. And that, that, and that was, for me, I would say that the, uh, as anthropologists might say, an enlargement of scale, because ah. I had to move from Christian-Muslim relations to embrace also Buddhism, Hinduism, and all different religions. Right, yeah. And you were, um, you were appointed to the uh, Pontifical Council by Pope John Paul II. Um, yes. 
Yes. Say a little bit about his contribution to interreligious dialogue. Well, I always say that because John Paul II was, uh, well, he was a bishop of the Vatican Council, Second Vatican Council. He had taken a very important part in the Vatican Council, uh, and so he was very keen to implement the Second Vatican Council, including the document of the Vatican Council, Nostra Etate, on the relations of the Church to people of other religions. And because he, Polish Catholic, very rooted in his faith, he had no fear of being open to people of other religions and convictions. Mm, mm. And I think that is significant in John Paul II. And wherever he went, and he traveled widely around the world, uh, visiting Catholic communities, but on each journey he always reserved a time to meet with people of other religions, mm. Muslims or others. Mm. And mm. that was highly appreciated and respected. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, we talked a little bit before um, about uh, our, our, the listeners of this podcast, many of whom um, teach theology in Catholic schools, uh, high schools, and so on. And, and often, you know, in, in moving through a variety of topics, they, in one class in particular, looks at ecumenism and interreligious um, dialogue. So if you were asked, um, <laughs> you know, to, uh, to give a, a, um, a, a sort of an hour-long introduction to Islam to a group of, of, of Christians or Catholics in the UK or the United States, how, how, would you, how would you begin? What would be your entry point? People who aren't that familiar with Islam maybe have some misconceptions about Islam. What, what, do you find, what have you found to be the most helpful point of entry? You're giving me one hour. Um, I, I no, summarize in a few I, minutes what you're I doing in an hour. I would want one hour a week. <laughs> yeah, right. um, if I had more time, I would start with worldwide Islam uh -huh. to try to uh, show to people that Islam and Arab is not, they're not uh, coterminous. Yeah. Uh, not all Arabs are Muslims because there are Arab Christians too. Mm -hmm. And not all Muslims are Arabs because the majority of Muslims don't, are not Arabs at all. And so to have that worldwide, uh, um, an impression of the worldwide phenomenon of Islam. Then I suppose I'd go back to the origins um, and the importance of Quran which ah. is not a book, but a recitation of a message that was given to Muhammad and that has been collected as a book afterwards and is the basis of uh, Islamic belief, but is not sufficient. And so this is complemented by uh, the traditions that go back to the, uh, Muhammad and uh, the traditions that together with the Qur'ans constitute the, the sources of uh, how to behave as a Muslim, really. I would perhaps um, emphasize the, the continuity that, that Islam presents itself as uh, the original religion of the world. Mm. Or, yeah, you'd, you'd have to make a distinction between 
Islam with a capital I and Islam with a small I. Okay. It is the Islam with a small I is submission to God. It is the recognition of the, the one God and responding to that through in your life. One God, the Creator, and the Provident God, and and so you trust, and the God who is going to judge us, and so these are the important beliefs of Muslims. Mm, mm. Islam, with a capital I, is the religion that has developed from this. Now, Muslims say that all human beings are born with this sense of God and a sense of uh, necessary submission to God. Mm. They forget about it. And so God sends prophets to them, mm -hmm. and they're the prophets, including Jesus. Uh, but then the last of the prophets is Muhammad, because mm -hmm. he has given, or he has been the instrument mm -hmm. to give the definitive measure. Uh, now, so I would perhaps uh, stress that Islam is really, as, as it is practiced, a religion of faith, obedience to God and obedience to the law which God has given. I think in that sense it is closer to Judaism than it is to Christianity. Mm. It, it is uh, law which is important, much more important than theology. Mm. Theology is not so developed. Mm -hmm. But the science of law and what you're supposed to do, that is mm -hmm. very developed. Too. So with law you mean practice uh, yes, rather practice. than ideas? You yes. Know. Okay. Yeah. Um, there is some Islamic theology as well. There are different problems that are studied, but they, they are of minor importance in mm -hmm. a sense. Mm -hmm. I would stress also that it is uh, a, a religion of prayer. Prayer is a very important ritual prayer. That's how Muslims understand the word prayer. Mm -hmm. It is the performance of a ritual uh, regularly. And uh, this is carried out by some in a more developed way, a more elaborate way. Um, belonging to particular associations that, that practice special prayers and uh, uh, brotherhoods that they come together for this. Mm -hmm. Can I uh, just uh, yes. back up a minute because I was intrigued by your um, comment because I think a lot of people when they think of the Quran they think of a book um, and the word you know means recite. Uh, yes. It's a recitation. I had a um, a professor who liked to say that um, in, in trying to convey the importance of the Quran to Muslims, he would say, um, for Christians, the word of God, the word became flesh. For Muslims, the word of God became Arabic. Well, yes, it became book in Arabic. <laughs> uh, it became a message in yeah, Arabic. Yeah. It is a message, really, yeah. or messages okay. that are collected together in this volume which is the Qur'an as we know it today. One little thing that I would say, if you, uh, for the teachers or for the people that they are teaching, if they want to get them to read the Qur'an, then start from the back. Start from the back? Yes. Well, why is because, that? Because the, the Qur'an is arranged, I would say, artificially, uh, according to the length of the chapters of surahs. The mm. surah is the chapter. 
and so the shorter suras are at the back and they are the the oldest they are the the the, the first messages that were given mm. and if you start from the back and work backwards you have some chance of getting further right. if you start from the beginning now the beginning is fine because it is a prayer the first, the first surah. Uh, the, the al-fatiha the opening surah is a prayer then you go to the surah of the cow what is this surah <laughs> of the cow and i can't make head or tail of this cow uh -huh. <laughs> I, and i don't know what it is and it i i can't uh, if you start there you won't get very far uh -huh. But if you start at the other end, you, you have a greater chance of... And you'll find that there are repetitions. But I would say, but that is normal. He, you know, he, didn't, he was not a theology professor, uh -huh. uh, Muhammad, and he didn't sit down to write a book, uh -huh. which is... Uh, these were all oral. Rationally, these are oral messages which he repeated. And as you know, you probably know from your parish priests that they do repeat themselves in their <laughs> sermons, no? Yes. Uh, and so we shouldn't be surprised that there are repetitions and sometimes they're not exactly the mm -hmm. same. Mm -hmm. There are differences. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this helps to understand when you take it as an oral document. Yeah, no, that's good. And I, because I think that the, um, um, the you know, the, the Bible, although the Bible is composed of varieties of different genres and literature and so on, it, there's a basic kind of narrative that unfolds from the creation of the world to the yes. choice of Abraham and so on and so forth. And so we expect this kind of unfolding of a narrative. There's, it's not like that in the it's Quran. Like it's, it's, it's more sort of uh, like still images or snapshots. Yes. Um, and I, so I like very much the advice about beginning at the end. Is there a particular surah that you would give to students to... to, to well, the f let's say the Fatiha, the, the prayer, the opening prayer, is, which is something that we could say, though it is interpreted in a way which is difficult for us, but in, in its words, they we have no objection to that, and it corresponds in some ways to the Our Father. Ah. It starts with praise of God, and then it ends with the community responding to God, if you like. And that is the very the first surah. Yes. Um, there is the surah 112, which is the surah of purity, in the sense that it is pure faith. It is a very sharp profession of faith in the one God. It can be construed also as being anti-Christian because it says God uh, does not beget nor, nor was he begotten, <laughs> but this applies to God. Uh, it right. doesn't apply necessarily to the word yeah. who's born of the Father, mm -hmm. uh, begotten, not made. Right. Really. right. But so that that is um, an interesting, very short surah, which is known by all Muslims because they they often recite it in prayer. Mm -hmm. Then there is surah 19, which is the surah of Mary, mm. uh, um, because the Islam accepts the virgin birth of Jesus from Mary and special honor is given to Mary so that is a good surah to oh, read as well. Very good. Um, I want to ask you a question about Mary, about Jesus, um, but while we're on surahs, is there, is there a particular English translation that you have found helpful? I mean, I, I, my experience is a lot like Bibles, you know, you can get sort of the, the Quranic equivalent of the King James English there and then more contemporary. Um, Muhammad Marmaduke Pickthall, who was a, a convert to Islam, and that Muslims 
very often like to quote his Quran. He has deliberately translated the Quran into sort of King James English. Yes. Now that is rather difficult in a sense. What I am using now is um, Abdul Halim, who is uh, an Egyptian Muslim who is a lecturer at the University of uh, Arabic of uh, uh, African and Oriental languages in London, and he has produced uh, a translation which is I don't agree with everything in this translation, but it, it reads well uh -huh. and it, it's quite accurate, I would think. Good. So I would Good. recommend that. But there are others Good. as well. Um, it's usually my Catholic students who are most surprised to hear um, the high regard um, that uh, Muslims hold Mary, the mother of Jesus, in. Could you say a little bit, what does the Quran have to say about Mary? You, you mentioned the virgin birth. Yes. Um, well, it has the recitation of the Annunciation. Uh, the mother of Mary is not mentioned by name. Mary is, in fact, the only woman mentioned by name in the Quran. Mm. All others are, you know, the wife of uh, a mm. pharaoh, and mm -hmm. they're, they're just, they're, mm -hmm. they're not named. Mm -hmm. So, and she is presented as a figure who um, was conceived uh, according to a promise, uh, uh, mother had difficulty and that uh, the mother before she gave birth to Mary had promised that if she had a child she would offer this child to God and then she brought forth a girl oh uh, disaster because God would not accept a girl and uh, so she's reassured that God knew that it, it God can distinguish between male and female uh -huh. and he knows that this is a female and it's still acceptable so this is actually taken probably it echoes the um, apocryphal gospel of James right. uh, where Mary is born and then she's presented to the temple mm. and grows up in the temple mm -hmm. and you have that in the Quran but in a very elusive way. Right, you know? right. So it doesn't talk about the temple, it talks about a holy spot. Mm -hmm. And Mary is nourished by the angels. Mm -hmm. uh, she's given the, an, in the care of Zachariah. Mm -hmm. she is, and then, then she is, uh, the angel appears to her and tells her that she's going to bear a son. How is this possible? Because I don't know man, etc. There is no a difference with the Catholic view of Mary. There is no fiat. There is no acceptance of Mary uh, of the will of God. Mm. The will of God is going to happen anyway, anyway, so she doesn't have to accept. Interesting. And she bears a son uh, beneath the palm tree that reflects actually the ap apocryphal gospel's account of the journey into Egypt. Ah, uh, interesting. There's no mention of Bethlehem or a grotto or anything like that, a cave, the animals, they don't come in. Uh -huh. But there is this palm tree which bends and um, Mary is able to take the dates, which is exactly what she needs at that moment because she needs to have sugar uh -huh. and get force, uh, strength. And there is a water, there is a stream that appears and so she's able to wash. And then she brings her child to her family, 
and they're horrified. How is it that Mary, that you have a child? You, your mother was not a prostitute. How, what have you done? And she will not defend herself. Mm. She allows the child to speak for her. And mm. so this little child, Jesus, uh, speaks in defense of his mother and shows that this is from God and not from... Mm. Uh, so there's a high regard for Mary as a woman of obedience, of devotion, of the, the mother of Jesus. And Jesus himself. What does it mean to, for Muslims to call Jesus a prophet? Well, he had a message to, mm -hmm. to give, and the, you know, just as Moses gave, brought the Torah, according to the, the, the Islamic view, uh -huh. Moses brought the Torah, Jesus brought the Gospel, which confirms in some ways the Torah, but modifies it in some ways. And then Muhammad brings the Quran, which is the definitive uh -huh. edition of this book. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I always say, you know, um, because very often Muslims are not interested in the Bible or the New Testament, the Old Testament or the New Testament, because they have everything in the Quran. Uh -huh. I say, well, when you buy a book, you usually go for the latest edition of this book, <laughs> uh, corrected and yeah. modified or whatever. And you, unless you're a, a specialist, you don't look for first editions. So it's in the same way the, the, the Muslims will stick to the Quran and they don't need, they feel they don't need right. scriptures. Right. And, the, and, and the, uh, the other scriptures are valuable insofar as they don't contradict the... Yes, they are elusively referred to in the Quran. In the Quran. There's a particular period of this Quranic mm -hmm. uh, reception, I would say, mm -hmm. when there are stories from the Bible. They are stories that are used to strengthen, to back up the Islamic message. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're selective. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Muslims would say, some would say, that the, uh, our scriptures have been corrupted and therefore we, d we don't want to uh, look at them. No, not as reliable but as that, the But that is not true of all Muslims and I think that there is a, a growing sense of, of looking at Jesus. Now you have the um, Zeki Saritoprak, the Muslim professor here, right. who has written a book about Jesus. Yeah, Islam's so it Jesus. Is the Islam's Jesus. So he's presenting Jesus, but but he is conversant of how Christians see sure. Jesus as well. Sure. And and you mentioned the, the 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 this sort of miraculous speaking of the of the baby Jesus. Yes. Um, uh, the Quran mentions other miracles. It mentions of the of, uh, again another story that you find in the apocryphal gospels of modeling uh, a bird or, or something, clay. and then it comes to life yeah. and flies away. Yeah. Uh, so he does this with the permission of God. It's uh -huh. not his own power, uh -huh. but it's the power that comes from God of curing a leper, of raising the dead, but without going into details, yeah. without describing yeah. the miracles. Yeah. But and this is something that, you know, there are no miracles of Muhammad, uh, but there are miracles of Jesus. Mm. So Jesus, and Jesus, of course, is, according to the Quran, he, he suffers in that he is opposed by the Jews, 
uh, who were opposed to his mother, also accusing his mother of fornication and, you know, mm -hmm. of uh, uh, Im impurity. Uh, but they also accused Jesus, and so they want to crucify him. But they did not crucify him, according to the Quran. But Jesus is raised up to heaven, mm. alive. Mm -hmm. And he will come back at the, la the the end of time. Yes. So, you know, there there are things that are very special about Jesus, which distinguishes him from the other prophets who are mentioned. Very good. We've been talking to Archbishop Michael Fitzgerald, former president of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue, about encountering Islam. Archbishop, thank you. You're welcome. Theology for Teachers is produced by Edward P. Hannenberg, the Breen Chair in Catholic Theology at John Carroll University, in collaboration with The Living Person Media. John Carroll is a Jesuit Catholic University in Cleveland, Ohio. To learn more, visit www.theologyforteachers.com. That's theologyforteachers.com.